There's a lot of talk these days about normal. Have you heard it? We got to get things back to normal. I can't wait for things to be normal. I want my life to get back to normal. I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. What, as a Jesus follower, what do I do if things don't get back to normal? What happens if whatever was normal is never normal again? What if my marriage doesn't go back to normal? What if my relationship with my kids doesn't get back to normal? What happens if my finances don't get back to normal? It's a tough question. What do we do when our normal gets disrupted? What if we don't go back to normal in any season of life, not just this virus season, but in any season of life, whatever crisis you might face, what if things never go back to normal? What do you do as a Jesus follower? Mike brought up a great question as we were talking about this message. His question was, what do I do if things do go back to normal? This is equally as disturbing. What happens if all the things I've gained, all the things that are better during this season go back to normal and I lose what was good? What what? What happens if I lose all this quality time with my family, with my wife? Uh, What happens if I lose all of this laser focus that I've had to develop during this time? What what happens just in my life, what happens if my neighborhood goes back to normal where we don't talk to each other, we don't worship in the street, we, we don't have the relationships we have? So if things go back to normal, things might change. If things don't go back to normal, things might change. What do we do? as Jesus followers, when things aren't quote-unquote normal, whatever normal is, what do we do? As a Jesus follower, what do I do when life is uncertain, when life is uncomfortable, when life is confusing, when life is scary, when life is out of control? As a Jesus follower, how do I respond? And I want to make a suggestion to you. I want to suggest that you say love. This might be a new word for you. It's not a very common word. In fact, the only place you would see this word is if you were reading in the Old Testament book called Psalms. The book of Psalms is just a collection of ancient, ancient songs that the people of God have sung for thousands of years in worship of God. And when you're reading through the Psalms, depending on which translation you might be reading, that little word, Selah, might pop up out in the margin, or maybe your translation takes a stab at translating that word, and it might translate it as rest. Some translate it as interlude. I want to talk to you about Selah today and why it's important during uncertain times that you learn the practice of Selah. A lot of ways you can understand Selah, but understand that we are reading The Psalms, we are reading songs, they were meant to be sung, and so this word Selah is a musical instruction. It's something we are to do as we get through reading and singing these words. And you can translate this word Selah several different ways. Overall, it means that you would pause, that you would rest, that you would lift up, that you would praise, and that you would calmly reflect. In other words, what you're going to do when you see the word Selah off in your margin, as you're reading a book of, you're reading a psalm from the book of Psalms, you're going to pause, you're going to take a deep breath, You're going to focus, you're going to lift up your eyes to heaven, you're going to praise what you've, uh, the God of the things you've just heard, and then you're going to calmly reflect on what you've heard and figure out what's next. So we're going to do this today. We're going to learn the practice of Selah, this ancient, ancient practice of pausing and reflecting 
and lifting up and praising and learning. And we're going to do it in a psalm that for me is my go-to. When, when I'm worried, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, when I'm angry, when I'm confused, this for me is my go-to song. It's Psalm 46, and it starts, depending on which translation you're reading, this might be in the header or this might be verse 1. But it says, Psalm 46, for the leader, that's the leader of worship, a psalm of the sons of Korah, that's, it's telling us who wrote this song, the, a group called the Sons of Korah, and that's a really interesting story. Um, you might want to check it out. Korah's story is found in Numbers chapter 16. Fascinating story. Read it on your own. I don't have time to talk about it today. I wish I did. But Psalm 46 is for the worship leader. Here's your instructions. It's written by these guys, the Sons of Korah. It's set to a harp or to high soprano voices. And then we get this reminder, this is a song. Here's the song. Here's how it goes. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength, abundantly available for help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and tell me the earth isn't changing during this time. Though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, Selah. We are to pause, we are to reflect. As worshipers of the one true God, we need to calmly focus and see what we just sung and how it applies to our life. And I hope that if you look at those three verses, you would come to the same conclusion I have come to. My Selah conclusion is that God is for us. God is for you. He's not against you. All you have to know, all you have to, all the evidence you need for the fact that God is for you is look at the cross where Jesus died. He was willing to die for you. God is for you. There's some interesting things in this, in these three verses that we need to reflect on. We need to pause and look up and praise and just think about these things. First of all, we see uh, in English that the, the word is God. But the Hebrew word used here is Elohim. And this is an important word. Anytime you see names for God, they reveal part of his character and part of his activity in the world. And so Elohim means the strong one, the mighty one, the, the powerful one. We are reminded when we see this name Elohim that God is creator, that God is king, that God is savior, that God is mighty to save and strong to rescue. And he is, he is the ultimate. He is the strong, mighty, powerful one. And because of that, we can look at this word refuge, which means flee, run to a place of trust. I love this word refuge. It's a place where you can run to when things are scary, and it's a place you can trust to give you security and safety. And God is not saying over there, that's the refuge. God is not giving us directions to a refuge. God is saying he is the refuge. He is the place where we can run when things are uncertain and when things are scary and when things are out of control. We need to remember to run to this God, this most powerful, this mighty one, this strong one who offers us a place we can trust. He is our stronghold. When we need safety, when we need security, we must learn to run first 
to God because he is the mighty one. So when I pause, when I say la, when I reflect on these first three verses, I kind of come to this conclusion that there will be seasons of chaos and crisis and during those seasons there's a place to go, a place I can trust and that place is a God. He's the strong, powerful, mighty God and he is ready to help us because he is for us. The song continues. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her or in the middle of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. When we Selah and pause and reflect, man, it's so obvious for us, those four verses are summarized in that last one. God is with us. Not only is God for us, not only is he in our corner fighting for us, he is in the middle of our story with us. He is not absent. He is not somewhere far away watching us. He is not somewhere far away disinterested. Uh, he, he has not wound up the universe like a toy and then just watching it play out. He is in the middle right here with us. And the writer of this song uses two different names for God that we need to look at because they're really important in understanding his character. The first word your Bible might translate as most high. In the, in the Hebrew, it's El Elyon. He is the God most high. He is the God above all others. In other words, you know, there are lots of things and there are lots of people and there are lots of activities and there are lots of gods with little g's that we worship, that we give value to, that we look to, that we look for. But God, the God is most high above all others. He is sovereign. He is never surprised. He is never caught off guard. And among all other things that you and I might worship, we must remember that El Elyon, the most high, he is bigger, he is stronger, he is more powerful, and he is above everything in our life that might catch our eye for worship. Interesting, in the New Testament, this, this name for God kind of morphs into, it's kind of the root of a, of a name that we hear Jesus being called. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which literally means God is with us. And the writer of this song compares God being with us to a river right through the middle of the land. Now in Israel, if you've ever been there, you know there's one river geographically located at the time of this being written right smack dab in the middle of the people of God, right geographically in the middle of the nation, there was the Jordan River giving life on both sides of its banks. And this is what the writer of this song is comparing God to. He's right smack dab in the middle of it all. He's with us. There's another name in here that's fascinating to me. The English translates it as Lord of hosts, but it's Adonai Shavot, which means the Lord of angel armies, the God who commands armies of angels. Think about that. This mighty, powerful, strong God who is with you, 
He doesn't command armies of soldiers with swords and spears. He commands armies of supernatural created beings beyond our understanding, powerful beyond our comprehension. That's the army he commands. If there is a God stronger and powerful and more mighty than everything you can imagine, and his army consists of supernatural beings called angels, and if that God with his armies is right in the middle of what we're experiencing, what do we have to fear? Why would we be afraid? Why would we worry if things are never normal again or if things never go back to normal again? Why would we worry if that God is right in the middle of what we're doing? The God above all gods who commands armies of angels is with us here, now, always. He's for us. He's with us. And the song continues. Verse 8. Here's the instructions. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear in two, and he burns the chariots with fire. Now up until this point, we have been talking about God. These next two verses, God enters the song and he speaks for himself. You've probably heard this verse. God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then verse 11, we talk about God again. The Lord of hosts is with us. That Lord of hosts, remember, is the God of angel armies. He is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. It's really interesting to me that the, we, we get the God of Jacob here. If you remember anything in the Old Testament about Jacob, early on in his life, he was a deceiver. He had a twisted heart. He was kind of a, a bad dude early on in his life, but God wrestled with him, and God formed him, and God molded him, and shaped his character. And the fact that This man, Jacob, gets introduced into this song as he is the God of Jacob. It's just a reminder for us that no matter what we were, God has a process of forming us and transforming us and molding us into something better. Never, never, ever forget that. As I Selah, these last verses, my conclusion is that there is a God who is above us and beyond us and yet still with us. This God is so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. He is so much beyond your way of thinking. Uh, Isaiah says that he is far above what we think we can't even get close to the way he thinks. And what we see, we can't even get close to the way he sees. Our mind is not like his mind. He is far above us and far beyond us and yet still willing to be with us. And we are instructed, we, we get this command to come and behold what he's done and what he's doing. That behold word is an interesting Hebrew word that means to focus, to gaze intently, and to observe fully. In other words, you are to rush to this mighty, powerful, strong God who commands armies of angels, and you are to set 
your eyes on him and look to him and fully observe everything that he is and everything he wants to do and everything he is doing. Just open up your eyes to him. I love this, this quote. Uh, I've heard it several times. I don't know who to attribute it to, but it says, we become what we behold. It's so true. You are becoming what you're looking at. Wherever your focus is today, that's what's shaping your character. We become what we behold. Corey Tinboom said this, if you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you will be depressed. But if you look to God, you will be at rest. We are becoming what we are beholding. You are becoming what you focus on. Up until this point in the song, it's been talking about God. And then in verse 10, God interjects himself into the song and it's beautiful. He says to be still, be still, be still, which is a cool concept in the original language. It literally means that you are to release or let go of yourself. In other words, if you want to know this God, if you want to personally, intimately know, have knowledge, know as a as you would know your spouse, as you would know a friend. As you would, if you want to know God personally, relationally, intimately, you have to be still. You have to come to a place where you release yourself, where you let go of yourself, where you set your agendas down, where you set your pride down, where you set your opinions down, where you set your past down, where you set your dreams down, where you let go of all of you so you can know all of God. In the New Testament, we are instructed to die to self. This is the same concept, that in order to live for Jesus, we must find a way to die to ourselves, to be still, to harpoo, to release ourselves, to let go. So if you can't do that, you can't know this God. As I say, and try to consider what these last verses have said, you can personally and intimately know the God who commands armies of angels when you let go of yourself. I love Psalm 46. There's so much hope and so much strength in all of those words. I would love someday for somebody to write a, a good melody that we could sing this Psalm 2. But in the meantime, I want to ask you this question. What do we do with that? What, what do we do with this knowledge that we've gained from learning who this song is all about and learning what it means to pause, maybe to pivot a little bit, point our eyes in the right direction? When we learn to Selah, when we learn to calmly reflect on the scriptures, that God has given us, when we reflect on those, what do we do? What do we do with Psalm 46 today in Artesia, America, or wherever and whenever you're watching this, what do we do? I would like to suggest three things. Number one, look to God. When your circumstances, when your crisis, when you're in a season of despair or anxiety or confusion, my first suggestion would be look to God. We, we have a tendency to look to all sorts of other things. Maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a person, maybe it's social media, but we like to look to things for answers. I would suggest you look to God 
first. Look to him. You will find what you're looking for. You will find answers when you're seeking truth. Look to God. And then secondly, I would say look for God. It's different. It's different to look for God in the middle of your story. If you could look, if you could look at your story, if you could look at this mess, if you could look at your crisis, if you could look at your marriage, if you could look at a broken relationship, if you could look at anything that's scary or depressing or causing you anxiety, if you could just be looking for God, looking for his fingerprints, looking for his activity, looking for evidence that he is with you, look for him, look to him for answers, look for him for security and safety and direction and purpose. And finally, I would say, look for opportunities to be his hands and his feet. Look for ways that you can reflect his character and his activity in your life and then share that with the people in your circles. Share that with the people you come in contact with. We have been saying for weeks that whatever you are facing, whether it's a coronavirus, whether it's a crisis in your marriage, a crisis at your home, a crisis with your job, any season of life where you struggle, where you're uncertain, where you're scared, it will one day certainly only be a story you tell. This whole season in the history of our country, in the history of our, of our globe, in the history of your neighborhood, in the history of your family, someday this is just going to be a story that you tell. What kind of story will you tell? The story you're writing is being written by your decisions today. Your attitudes, your behaviors, your actions, the way you treat each other, um, the way you treat strangers, all of that is writing a story. Let's make sure that we are writing a story worth remembering. Let's make sure that we are writing a story worth telling. Let's make sure that as followers of Jesus, we are writing a story today of people who look to and trust in and follow the most high, most powerful, most mighty, most strong God who commands armies of angels who's not far away. He's here with us now. And may we write stories of people who are confident in that, who walk in that, and have figured out how to lose ourselves in that so we could know this God and make this God known to people who need him. Let's pray together. I thank you, Lord Most High, that you are God above and beyond all. Forgive us when we forget that. May we be a people who run to you for refuge, who look to you for safety, who look for you in every circumstance in life, and may we trust that you are always with us and for us. May we live in the confidence that that hope brings into our life. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.